Let's open up to Luke chapter 6, if you would please. Luke chapter 6, and as you find uh, Luke 6 and verse 12, Luke 6 and verse number 12, we'll read just a handful of verses. And today I'd like to preach to you about the apostolic life, the apostolic life. Verse 12 says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. If I can, I'm not preaching on this this morning, but if Jesus needed to spend all night in prayer at some point in his life, shouldn't, shouldn't we also consider that at some point? Verse 13, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, that would happen much later, the uh, second naming there of Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, their brothers, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. And from that text, I would like to preach to you about the apostolic life. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Father, help us this morning. We talk about these men that while... While you, Lord Jesus, you were on the earth, you walked with these men. You know them so much better than we do. Help us to properly represent them this morning. Learn from, from their lives. And Father, uh, I pray that you come down and meet with us. Touch our hearts. You've already spoken to mine today. I have been ministered to. My cup is full. Lord, I, I pray let it overflow. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple things I'd like to say. If you just direct your attention to verse 13. When it was day, he called unto him his disciples. Now, he had many disciples, hundreds of disciples. Even in this stage in his ministry, these were the early days of it, but he had hundreds of people following him by this point. We don't know exactly how many, but at least hundreds. And it says, of them he chose 12, whom he also named uh, apostles. So let me explain quickly the difference between a disciple and an apostle. They are not the same thing. Every apostle is a disciple, but not every disciple is an apostle, all right? A disciple is a learner. It is somebody who is being disciplined or trained. Now, we use the word discipline, right? If you've done something wrong, you get disciplined, pox law kind of thing. And that's not necessarily, that's not the whole scope of the word. A disciple is getting disciplined, he is getting trained, he is a learner. In, the, in this case, we can also say a follower. So when Jesus would pass by somebody and say, follow me, this is more than just believe on me. Right? Believe on me is also part of following, but just only one part. Follow me is come watch how I do it. Listen to what I say. Take heed to the example I'm setting. So that's a disciple. Everybody in this room today, that's the goal. Jesus told us to go out and make disciples, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, so you need to get saved, and then make that commitment to follow Christ. Everybody here should be a disciple, right? That's an expectation that God has for all of us. Now, to be an apostle, that is a very specific and unique calling. Very few people have that calling. These men, as we know from reading our Bibles when they were called into this particular aspect of the ministry to be apostles, the word apostle means one who is sent or sent out. In Latin, 
The word is missio, which is where we get the word missionary, right? So the word missionary and apostle are very much synonyms. But these men, these 12 especially, they hold a unique place in history and in our Bibles. I think you know at the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, we read about New Jerusalem. I'm sure you've read, most people always flip to the end, right? You know that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and then at the end, right, you know there's New Jerusalem coming down. Most people know that much about their Bible. When you get to the end, you have this gorgeous, beautiful city that is adorned as a bride for her husband. And the Bible describes it in great detail. And there are 12 foundations to this city. 12. That, I mean, this city has a lot of weight to it, so it needs a lot of foundation. And in these 12 foundations, you have the names of these 12 men. Minus Judas, mind you. His name is taken out, and we'll talk more about his replacement just now, a man named Matthias. But those 12 names appear eternally on the foundations of New Jerusalem. So these men have a very unique place biblically and historically. They had unique gifts. Jesus gave them the power to do the exact same things that he was doing. So it's a very special group. But notice now, disciples from the massive group of disciples come these 12 apostles called out to do something unique. I want to talk about their extraordinary lives but not in great detail because I don't have great details. The Bible doesn't tell us where they came from in great detail. We know little snippets. But I think I would be doing them a little bit of justice if I give you the information I have. And I'm going to make this very short because it is short. But this is going to sound like an obituary and a bit of a eulogy. So I don't mean to create a funeral here this morning. It's not my goal. But just to educate you and... and hopefully bring a deeper appreciation for what these men did. They're called to be apostles, and they were. They were sent out by Jesus two by two. They preached while he was on the earth. After Jesus went back to heaven, they continued preaching. You know the book of Acts to a, a certain extent, right? Let me give you beyond the book of Acts. Simon Peter, I'm just going to work my way through the list if you want to follow along from verse 14 onwards. First, I'll tell you about Simon Peter. He ministered in several different places. He wrote two books that we now have in the Bible. At the end of his life, history tells us that he was crucified in Rome. But when he was ordered to be crucified, he accepted his fate. He did not fight against it, but he said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. So you have to crucify me upside down. And they did. They put his legs in the air and his hands down, and he was crucified in the year 64 A.D. His brother Andrew, after the book of Acts, we read, well, I should say during the book of Acts, he actually made his way up to Greece, to the city of Patras, and the history books tell us that he had a fantastic ministry there. Several were saved, but in 60 A.D., his demise was ordered, and he was likewise crucified, but in a similar fashion, did not feel worthy to die as Jesus, so they turned the cross slightly sideways. So instead of the, a T shape, it created an X shape. And to this day, you still, you can go on the internet and look at St. Andrew's cross, and it is shaped as an X, or it appears as an X. James Zebedee. Now this is James and John. Their father was Zebedee. So we use that surname, James Zebedee. We actually read about this death in the Bible. He was the first of the apostles to die. Outside of Judas, mind you. 
he was the first martyr of the apostles. So after the death of Stephen in the book of Acts, the second one that we know to die, uh, as far as the servants of God, were, was James. James was, in, in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, it says he was killed by the sword, but in history we have a few other details that he was actually beheaded. The man that accused him to the Roman officials, after making this accusation, which eventually brought about James' death, that man got under such conviction about doing that because when the news was given to James, you're going to die by beheading, he did not gripe and complain. He did not throw a fit. He did not appeal. He just said, I'll take the fate that God has allowed to happen to me. And his resolve in that situation, his accuser came forward and said, this has convinced me. I want to be a Christian. And he put his head right next to James and also gave his life at the same time. His brother John, John Zebedee, was the only of the apostles to die a natural death. He died at the age of approximately 93 or 94. He died in approximately 100 AD. History tells us that the Roman emperor had him dipped in hot boiling oil in an attempt to kill him, but he survived it. And then eventually what we read in the book of Revelation, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. That is where he received the revelation that we have at the end of our Bible. But then later he, was, he came off of that isle and went back to Ephesus where he was pastoring and eventually died of natural causes. But he was greatly persecuted. If I can just mention to you that this means he would have started following Christ at approximately the age of 23. He was called to be an apostle at the age of 23. And I want you to have that in your mind. Jesus is only 30 years old. I am 46. I know I don't look it. <laughs> I could see the shock and amazement on many faces when I said it. No, that can't. but it is. It's true. I'm 46. These, Jesus was 30. He's calling on these young men to do maybe the greatest work the world has ever known. The next man in the list, Philip. Philip ministered in Asia in his life, specifically in Phrygia. If you'd like, you can go onto a Bible map and look at where that's at. In 54 AD, mind you, the book of Acts ends in about 62 AD. In 54 AD, Philip was scourged heavily, whipped, thrown into prison, and eventually crucified in 54 AD. Bartholomew. Bartholomew preached in several different countries after Jesus went back to heaven, but he eventually settled in India. And in India, he translated the Gospel of Matthew into the local language. Because of his preaching there in India, he was eventually severely beaten and crucified by angry idolaters in India. Matthew the publican. Matthew actually went to what we now know as Iran after Jesus went back to heaven. He preached in Iran and then eventually went to Ethiopia. Interestingly enough, he was killed in the year 60 A.D. by a halberd, which I had to look that up to be honest, but a halberd, I think you all know it, maybe not by that name. It's a long stick, long spear with a point on the end, so you could run somebody through with the spear, but it also has what we would probably think of as an axe at the end. 
So there's a long, many times you see that like an executioner has that longish handle with an axe, a, a big axe head on one side and a smaller axe head on the other. And then a halberd also has a spear. So it was very handy in wartime, but then also for executions. And that is how Matthew met his end. He was killed by a halberd. Thomas, the next one in the list, we also know him as Thomas Didymus. The word Didymus means twin. So as best we can tell, Thomas was a, one half of a set of twins. Thomas, he also preached in Iran, modern-day Iran, but then eventually he made his way to India. And to this day, there is a group of Indian believers that call themselves Martamites because they are followers of Thomas, Martamites, that Thomas at the end. It's, they are Martamites. The pagan priests in India were so enraged at Thomas's preaching, they thrust him through with a spear. And that is how he died. James, the son of Alphaeus, there is some question as to how he died because there are many people named James in the early days of the church. So we're not quite sure as which James had what happened to him. But as best we can tell, he died a very brutal death in Jerusalem, somewhere near the temple. And that is where he was buried, is nearby the temple in Jerusalem. But we don't, we're just not sure of all the details of his death other than it was brutal. Simon, we often call him, you can see here, Zelotes, uh, he was known as Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a faction within Israeli life at this time. They were a militia group, kind of an underground group that was seeking to overthrow the Roman government through military means, right? So a militia group. Simon, he's also known in the other Gospels as Simon, Simon the Canaanite, which is very interesting. Because in the book of Genesis chapter 9, we read about the the Canaan being cursed. And yet here, he's one of Jesus' chosen twelve. Which shows it doesn't matter what your ancestors did. It doesn't matter how bad it was back then. It matters what you do with Christ. Simon Zelotes, the Canaanite, interestingly enough, a Canaanite is a Hamite. We don't know how black he was but he had Hamitic blood, and true to his roots, he ministered in Mauritania, Africa, which is the far west coast, for those of you maybe that don't know. And wouldn't you know it, he went to Britain. He took the gospel to Britain, where he was crucified in the year 74 A.D. Next, we read about Judas. As you can see, there are two different men named Judas. This first one, Judas, he's the brother of James, as is noted. But he also has some other names. In the other Gospels, he is known as Lebius Thaddeus. Very official sounding, right? That, that sounds proper. <laughs> sounds like this man drank tea or something, you know. He's <laughs> Judas Lebius Thaddeus. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. You have to have a trumpet with that, right? My best guess is this is the same man who wrote the book of Jude, if I had to guess. He labored in what we now call southeast Turkey in the city of Edessa in 72 AD. That is where he was crucified. 
Lastly, we read about Judas Iscariot. His death is also recorded in the Bible. The first of the apostles to die, the chosen twelve. But obviously, you know that his end was not something that we honor. He hung himself. He is a perfect example of somebody who has the sorrow of the world which worketh death. The Bible says he repented at what he did to Jesus, but it wasn't a godly repentance. He was sorry that he got caught. He was sorry that his plan didn't work. He, he couldn't live, he couldn't continue on with his life knowing what a horrible thing he had done because he was afraid of how the public would view him and decided rather to end his life. He died by hanging. He hung himself. But in Acts chapter 1, it also says that he fell and burst. And the two work together. They don't contradict. He died by hanging, but then a few days later, there was an earthquake when Jesus rose from the dead. That would have snapped the branch or the rope, causing Judas to fall. And when he hit the ground, he burst asunder. Both things are true. In Acts chapter 1, we read that there were two men chosen as candidates to replace Judas as one of the twelve apostles. The twelve, mind you, was a closed group. There could be only twelve. So they had to choose and cast lots. And Matthias was chosen. So let me rather give you his history. We don't read about Matthias anywhere in the Gospels. We only have his name in Acts chapter 1. He went on to evangelize almost all of Cappadocia and then went to the Caspian Sea region and also evangelized and Christianized, as they say, almost the entire area. He died in the year 80 A.D. He was crucified and mercilessly dismembered. The people in that region had a great hatred for Him, but still He stood and preached the truth. All of these men I've given you, they are the heroes of the faith. The Bible says that Jesus, He is the foundation, but the next layer, if you will, to this building project of God, this spiritual temple that is being built, right? Jesus is the foundation, then the apostles, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. We read in Luke 6 and verse number 12 that Jesus spent all night in prayer. And you read in, I believe it's Mark's gospel, that this prayer meeting that night that Jesus had with the Father, it was about which men do I choose. If I can just make a, a, a quick application to maybe something slightly off topic, before you yoke up with somebody for a long-term project, you might want to spend a good time in prayer about that. Now, obviously, the longest-term project you can have in your life would be your marriage. You might want to pray about that quite a bit. Before you get into business deals that's going to yoke you together with somebody, you need to pray about that. So Jesus sets a wonderful example, but that's, as I said, slightly off topic, but worth noting. Let me rather address this question in the rest of my sermon. Why did Jesus choose these men? He had other good options. Why these twelve? What stands out about them so that they are not only disciples, but usable in this very special way. So let me give you just a few ideas on why He chose them. And I'm actually going to start off in the negative and, and tell you why He didn't. Here are some things that made no difference in His choosing. Number one, these men were not rich. 
No, I think there's an exception to that. Matthew probably had some money. He was a publican, right? We talked about publicans a few weeks back. They had money. So I would say Matthew probably had money, but that is not why Jesus chose him. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort. God doesn't look at how much is in my bank account. He does look at how I use what's in my bank account. Right? If, if you cannot be faithful in that which is least, then how can you be faithful in that which is much? If you can't be faithful in that which is another man's, then why would, give you, why would God give you that which is your own? The true riches is being able to serve God. So God does mind. He does take heed to how we use our wealth. But you don't have to have wealth to be used of God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? You don't have to be rich. Some of the best servants of God that I know are extremely poor. I'll tell you another thing. They weren't, they weren't famous. These men were not well known. It's a bunch of fishermen. A bunch of nobodies. If you didn't read their names here in Luke and Matthew and Mark, you wouldn't even know that they existed most likely. They weren't famous now, they are in our circles, right? I mean, we know these names. We read the Bible. But you go out anywhere else, these men are basically nobodies. I like how, I, I, I don't know where this saying originated, but I'm sure you've heard it in songs. They put it in all sorts of places now. It's kind of a meme. They say, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. <laughs> That's what these guys were. They were just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I love that. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to have a lot of followers on whatever social media you have. You don't have to have a lot of likes on your YouTube page. Society doesn't have to approve. We're not seeking man's commendation, but it's whom the Lord commends. That's all that matters. They weren't rich. They weren't famous. Paul said it very well in 2 Corinthians 6 talking about apostles he said as unknown and yet well known why because that's that guy that's thumping his bible telling us that jesus died for us who is he what's his name what does he like we don't we don't know we don't care we just know that he's there (laughs) that's what these men were about not famous not famous paul again said it very nicely what things were gained to me those i counted lost for christ So whatever reputation he had, he said, I'm glad to lay that aside. Jesus did not choose them because they were rich or because they were famous. Let me tell you one other thing he didn't factor in. They weren't well educated. Now again, Matthew might have been an exception. Maybe a couple other guys had some schooling to them. And please understand, if you're rich or famous and well educated, that doesn't disqualify you. All right? You understand what my point here, he doesn't choose you because of those things. And he can choose you in spite of those things. It kind of depends on how big of a deal these things are to you. But they weren't well educated. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible tells us that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they heard John and Peter preaching. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. He said, they don't, you could tell by their talking, they don't have a lot of schooling. They're not very educated, but man, when they talk, it has power. (laughs) Sorry, that's a bit of American uneducated talk, but I don't know how to talk uneducated in South African accents. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Wait a minute. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Should, I, I think I could do it. Somebody give me a number to read. <laughs> or I could just start in, in the beningin, in, in the... In the beningin, God, in the beningin, in the beningin. <laughs> Sorry, I, okay. I, listen, I'm so glad you don't have to be polished and eloquent to be used by God. You don't. Now, I, I'm not saying to get up and preach or go out and minister unprepared. And, and I'm not saying God likes sloppy things. Right? Don't be sloppy. But you don't have to be well-educated. You don't have to have a degree. Jesus didn't have one. Armand, he gave us a great lesson in the hour before. Brother, you stole my verse. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a couple of verses. You guys just listen to this. They, they weren't rich, famous, or well-educated, right? They weren't. That's not why Jesus chose them. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet said. Thus saith the Lord... Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Rich, famous, educated. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's a big deal with God. That's worth more than all the wisdom, might, and wealth the world could possibly offer. The richest man, the smartest man, the strongest man that you can be, the best person that you can be, is the one that understands and knows God. In this that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight saith the Lord. I like this. This tells us what God's looking for. It's not the riches or the fame. It's not the education. He's looking for somebody that really wants to know Him. He says, God, I can't get enough of you. Tell me more. I'm interested in the same things you are. Hold your place if you would in Luke. Come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians 1 and verse 26. I heard this story years ago. It's always stuck in my head. First Corinthians 1 and verse number 26. Let me read you the verses so that this makes more sense, and then I'll tell you the story that is going to go with it. First Corinthians 1 verse 26, Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things, that's the bottom level, the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. So what the world considers to be 
smart and noble and important, right? That's not what God's looking for. What the world considers foolish, weak, and useless, right? What the world considers useless, God says, I can use that. Look at verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Now, just for the sake of our sermon, I believe this does weigh in as to why Jesus chose those 12 men. They wouldn't steal His glory. They were not trying to impress the world. And Jesus knew that. Years ago in the 1700s, there was a countess, so nobility, the Countess of Huntingdon. Her name was Selina Hastings in the 1700s. She came to know Christ as her personal Savior. And you know as well as I, that doesn't happen often with nobility. How hardly shall the rich enter into the kingdom of God, yes? And here she is, very wealthy, very powerful. Her testimony was this. I got saved by the letter M. <laughs> I got saved by the letter M. She, to quote her exactly, she said that as well, but she said later, Blessed be God, referring to verse 26, it does not say any mighty or any noble. It says many mighty, many noble. Here's her point. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men, many mighty, many noble. If, it were, if you take the letter M out of that and you say there are not any noble, she couldn't get saved. She said, I got saved by the letter M. Because <laughs> not many, so a few of them, a few of those camels can get through the eye of the needle. <laughs> God can do it. With God, all things are possible. Why did He choose these men? Well, come back to Luke chapter 6. And I want to share with you some of their common character markers or common traits that these men have. Now you might think, you know, the first thing that tends to come to our mind is the special gifts that these men had. They, they could do some amazing things, raising the dead and uh, cleansing the lepers and healing the sick and so forth. And yes, they all did have those abilities. My, mind you, it, those abilities were not limited to the twelve. Some other people also were given those abilities. We'll come to that soon in the Gospel of Luke. The 70 that went out, they also had these abilities. But only a few people had them. But Jesus did not choose them because of those abilities, right? He chose them and then gave them those abilities. Those abilities is not what earned them the privilege of being apostles. That wasn't the heart and soul of their discipleship. Nor should it be the focus of ours. It's not about what gift you have. It's about the one to whom you're trying to draw people with those gifts. What gifts, forgive me, not gifts, what traits did these men have in common? Well, I'll give you one thing. They were all flawed. They were all flawed. None of these men showed up to Jesus and said, all right, we got it figured out. We've overcome everything. We got the victory. Walking with God, here we are, ready to be used. Go ahead, Jesus, choose me. <laughs> None of them showed up with that attitude. All of them flawed. Right away, I feel like I got a chance. <laughs> like, okay, amen. If they're flawed, listen to this group, right? This group that you got you to, one guy is a traitor. We know he's got issues. <laughs> then you got a cussing fisherman, <laughs> 
You got two, two young men that are willing to burn down a city because they were not nice to Jesus, the sons of thunder. <laughs> I mean, you got all of them at one point forsook Jesus. These are flawed men. These are fallen men. Listen, they're real people with real problems. I know I'm stretching a little bit outside of the 12, but I think it fits the point. James would later write that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Elijah, the great prophet, he's just a man with struggles. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. And the apostles were just men, flawed men. Whatever flaws you have, that does, that does not disqualify you from being used by God in whatever special way He deems necessary. Flaws and all. Let me tell you something else they all had in common. They were all teachable. They were all teachable. Sure, they had their flaws, but when they came to the Lord and said, Lord, as Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He admitted his flaws. Jesus said, follow. I'll make you a fisher of men. And right there, Peter has a decision. Am I willing to learn from him? Because if it's up to me, I'll let Jesus depart. I'm not worthy to be used. But rather, Jesus said, I can teach you a thing or two. Can he teach you? Are you moldable? Or has the clay become so hard that he cannot shape you into that which he pleases? All of these men had a lot to learn and they were willing to learn it. And might that be the attitude of our heart? May we never go to God and say, God, I got it figured out. But Lord, I know there are things to change and I'm happy if you show me what needs to be changed. These men were humble enough to be taught. I'll tell you another thing they had in common. They had, and I know this might come across very simple, but I think very powerful. They had faith. And here's what I mean by that, if I can flesh that out just a bit. They already believed the Bible. They did. They believed the Bible. But now Jesus is coming in saying, you guys believe in God, believe also in me. And if you have any doubts, search the Scriptures. And as Jesus continued to teach and to work among them, they saw the evidence over and over again. There's no other choice. This man has to be the Messiah. They had some faith that when God revealed something to them, they took it. This does not mean that their faith was never shaken. Many times they had their doubts creep into their mind. Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus rises up and says, O ye of little faith. After the resurrection, even then, they still, the women come and say, We saw the Lord. He rose from the dead. No, you didn't. Bunch of crazy women. Go home. <laughs> and Jesus walked through the door and said, You guys. And the Bible says He chewed them out because of the hardness of their hearts and because of their unbelief. They were men of faith. They, they accepted what God had revealed, right? That's when Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Yes, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And he says, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father in heaven. He accepted the revelation when God showed him something. He said, all right, by my natural mind, I wouldn't have come to this conclusion, but God, you said it. There's the Messiah standing right there. He said it. Now I'm going to take that as fact and live by it. 
a person that approaches Christ with that attitude, he can use that person. Teachable. Faith. I'll give you another one. Faithful. Faithful. What I mean by this is they were able to endure hardness. It didn't matter how many times they fell, they kept getting back up. You know why Jesus chose them? Because they wouldn't quit. Even after they quit. That make any sense? They quit and they just couldn't stay quit. <laughs> you know him? No. Are you sure you don't know him? I'm sure. No, I don't know him. Uh, you sound like him. Yeah, yeah, you know him? Blankety blank, I don't know him. And then all it took was one look from Jesus. Jesus' eyes catches Peter's eyes and it melted that heart of stone and he rushes off and he weeps bitterly. And a few weeks later, there he is at the feet of Jesus saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Shall ye also go away? To whom shall we go, Peter says? Thou hast the words of eternal life. It didn't matter how many times their faith got tested, how many times they fell down, how many times they got persecuted. I just read you their biographies and how they died. These men didn't know how to quit. They endured hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are to commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, right? These were faithful men. Why did Jesus choose them? They were flawed, yes, but teachable. They had faith. They could endure hardness. Question, can you do that? Could you do that? You see, we think the apostolic life is all about miracles and signs and wonders and you got to be a preacher. Well, that is part of being an apostle, but the apostolic life, what leads up to that, we're all capable of that. I'll give you one more thing that they all had in common. And I, I admit, I'm kind of reverse engineering this. I'm starting at the end and going backwards. They were all sincere. All of them. They were sincere. I think you're all familiar with the verse. Jesus said, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, listen to this part, the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Who is the Father looking for? The Father seeks such to worship Him. What kind of worshiper does He want? What is a true worshiper? The one who means it. The one who is doing it in spirit and in truth. That is another way of saying sincerely. They're not going through the motions. They're not doing it because everybody else is doing it. They're not doing it because it's popular. They're not doing it because of culture. They're doing it because they mean it. They are there because they want to be there. They're involved because they believe in the cause. It's real to them. God doesn't need you to put on a Christian mask and come to church and act Christian and say Christian things. He wants you to be the real you. He wants you to look into the looking glass and accept what it shows you and say, God, as flawed as it is, here am I. Send me. Use me. They were sincere men. You know why I think God chose them? I think God chose them because they wouldn't have minded if He didn't choose them. Because somebody who sincerely is following Christ is not in it for the name tag. 
They don't care what title they have. They look at it and say, Lord, you are my life. So it doesn't matter if you give me a big job or a small job. If I'm there on the front line or if I'm doing the dirty work in the back. I don't care where you put me. I don't care what you tell me to do. God, if you give me a mop and a broom and tell me to do that for you the rest of my life, then Lord, I am as happy as I can be because I'm doing just what you said. It's all I want, Lord. I just want to be real. It's not about me. It's about you. One of the hardest things that I've had to deal with a couple of times, especially when God told me to leave Malawi and come here, it was a big challenge. God, don't change my calling. Lord, I, you called me to be a missionary, which is, to me is a great honor. And I must admit, it took some time for me to overcome that fear. What if God, in my mind, demoted me? And says, okay, you're done being a missionary. Go home. How would I live with myself? But then, then I, I, I approached it like this, and I thought, well, let me not do anything that would cause that demotion, <laughs> right? Where I'd have to tuck my tail between my legs and go back to the States and go, okay, I, I messed up. I, I don't want to go that route. But if, 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 mind you, big if, if God would ever say, Mike, that's as much as I wanted you to do. Now, I want you to just sit and be a good church member. I don't know why God would ever do that. I think I would explode after a couple of weeks under that pressure. But if that's what He wants, it's all that matters. Lord, it's not about me. I want to be a vessel, meet for the Master's use. So Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I'm yours. I want to love you with my whole heart, mind, body, soul, spirit. And I'm happy to do that and have that work out as, as you see fit. You know something that I've never really thought much about, but I'm going to close on this thought. In the book of Acts, we read about those two men, right? Matthias was the one that was chosen. The other guy, his name is? <laughs> we forget it quite easily, don't we? Joseph Barsabas Justus. Three names, Joseph, Barsabas, Justice. There was a spare. They had a leftover disciple, right? I mean, one went flat and they needed a spare. <laughs> Sorry. I know that's a bit grim, but it's true. <laughs> oh, God help me. <laughs> I shouldn't have told that joke. <laughs> I was doing so good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's horrible. Oh. Don't look at me. <laughs> it just makes it worse. Oh, good grief. <laughs> it wasn't even that good of a joke. <laughs> anyway, so the point I was trying to make, the point I'm trying to make, sometimes we, we think, well, that guy with the big calling, you know, the guy who God's called to be a pastor, 
or a missionary. That's the guy who needs to be teachable. Faith, you know, have that faith in him. He needs to be a faithful guy and endure the heart. He's got to be super sincere, you know. That guy who's called. So if we see a guy like that, you know what we automatically think? Oh, if, if you see a serious guy like that, he's going to be in the ministry. We see a young lady like that, she, God's going to use her greatly. God's going to put her in the ministry, put her on the mission field, marry a preacher, something like that. Why, why do we automatically jump to that? Shouldn't that be true of every church member? Shouldn't we be able to look around and go, you know what, if one falls... We have a replacement. We have somebody ready, sitting by the, on the sideline, if you will, saying, Lord, if you want me to sit here on the bench and cheer the other guy on and pray for him, I will do these little things while I wait. But if you want to call my number and put me in the game, I'm happy to do that too. Joseph Barsabas Justice, he went on serving the Lord after he didn't get chosen. What about you? In, in order to be a candidate for that spot, you had to have been faithful from the time that Jesus was baptized until the time he went back to heaven. Joseph, Barsabas, Justice was there the whole time. And then when he wasn't chosen, he was still there. You see, the apostolic life, yes, they did some incredibly special things, but they did that after being chosen. What got them to that point? What was those character traits? Said, Lord, choose me or not, this is who I am. I'm yours. You're my master. You're my savior. You're my God. All that I have is yours. Okay, everything I've mentioned this morning is possible from every one of you. Every one of us can meet these requirements for this apostolic life. The way you carry out your ministry might look different but you can give God the same devotion. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just a moment, the piano will play. And I want you to consider the commitment that you've made to Christ. The apostolic life is a sincere, real committed life to loving obedience. Perhaps, perhaps today you can make that commitment. Lord, I don't care what you call me to do. Put me in the ministry. Leave me out of it. Either way, I'm your disciple Lord, teach me. I don't care how long I've been doing it, Lord. Teach me. Speak to me, Lord. I'll believe what you say. Even if my heart and mind fight against it. Lord, I've fallen. I've made a mess. But my love for you is greater than my shame for my sin. So 
along with my shame, I'm going to pick myself up by your grace and keep loving you. I won't let my failure stop me from serving you. Above all, he wants you to be real. Can you do that? How about just now in your heart, tell him how much you really love him. Be careful now. Because as you walk out the door, you'll need to live like it. And if what you tell him doesn't sound that good, say, Lord, I love you, but not like I should. Well, amen. Thank you, Thank you for the honesty. But then this week, make it right. Get back to your first love. If you've never been saved and you're here in just a moment, we're going to pray and close our service. You don't need to be rich, famous. You don't need to be well-educated. You just need to be humble enough to admit that you're a sinner and without Christ, you have no way to God. That's it. You can come to Him today. Say, Lord, I believe when you died on the cross, you made a way for me to get back to God. And you're that only way. Save me. If you need help with that, you find me in just a moment. Father, please continue to stir in our hearts. Help us to be these sincere disciples that you desire. The kind of people that you're looking for. Ready to be used. And Lord, the using part, we'll leave that to you. We just want to be ready. Vessels meet for the Master's use. Perhaps, Lord, somebody here is not saved, so I'm going to pray that you'd touch that heart, those hearts, and let them join the rank and file of people that are sincerely devoted to loving you and obeying you. Father, thank you for stirring and working in our hearts today. Help us to leave now and not let the fowls of the air grab these seeds, but hang on to them. We praise you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.